my, Mama Ike. I should have learned, never give a mic to an Ike. That's, that's the lesson right there. That's the Vaughnism. Hey, good morning. My name's David Vaughn. I'm so glad you're here. Love Georgie Ike. Thanks for watching today. And thanks for being here today or watching. It's Memorial Day weekend. I know we got a lot of folks traveling, and we have a lot of folks who are watching specifically, intentionally online now because of that. Uh, And so we're we're grateful that you're here and grateful that you're uh, following us and grateful that you are leaning into what I think is going to be, I don't know, it's my last official sermon series. I think it's going to be one of the hardest ones I've ever had to do but one that I think may reap the greatest fruit for so many reasons. Memorial Day is, it's a great segue because Memorial Day is us talking about and celebrating legacy, legacy of a country, legacy of men and women that paid a price for us to be free. Just, we have so much to celebrate in our country. We have much we're grieving about, but we have much to celebrate. And that happens to be the title of our message series here at Whitewater for the next four weeks with, as in my role as the senior minister. The title of the series we're doing is called Legacy. Legacy. And today marks a significant, highly significant pivot for this church as we turn our face resolutely towards succession. I can't think of a more timely topic, a more important topic than for us to talk about this right here, right now. We're going to shift, and you don't want to miss any of the next four Sundays, either in person or online, and it's going to be a little different than we normally do. Instead of more traditional sermons, this is going to be more like some family fireside chats in the middle of summer, more like family transition talks. You ever have those family talks uh, at your house where something's going on or something's coming, and you just bring everybody together, and you kind of talk about that stuff? That's what we're going to be doing for the next month. If you're new to Whitewater, I can't think of a better, greater time for you to check out this church than right now. And I'm so glad you're here. I'm elated you're here. I don't think you're here accidentally or coincidentally. And over the next few weeks, you're gonna get an inside peek into how a church family deals with change and leadership transitions. Because all too often, it's a business world the sports world and the church world, it is not done well. That handoff of the baton is not done or it's dropped and then people suffer. So you're gonna get an inside peek as we kind of process and thank you for your prayers for my heart Um, and thank you for letting me process out loud some mixed emotions in my life. Someone says success is like attending a wedding and a funeral at the same time, that's me. You know, the image of passing the baton is a popular metaphor in leadership succession writings. Just about every book on the subject, and trust me, I've read just about every one, uses the relay race analogy when it comes to handing off executive leadership. Did you know that a solo runner can complete a mile in four minutes if they're a good runner? However, a relay team with each runner going full speed for a quarter of a mile can complete a mile in 3.5 minutes. But the proper and timely passing of the baton in a relay race is the most crucial part of the race, the most critical. That's why relay teams practice that handoff for hours because dropping the baton is disastrous and pretty much destroys a relay team's chance at winning the race. 
The key to running and winning in a relay race is really pretty quite simple. The one receiving the baton must start running before he or she receives the baton. Both runners have to kind of stay in their lane. <laughs> That's important. The baton must be passed in a timely fashion. There's like this distinct or designated exchange zone where the baton has to be passed. And if the exchange is handled properly, if it's done well, it's possible to gain a step in the transition instead of losing a step. Since the one giving is reaching forward and the one receiving is reaching back, there could actually be a step gained in the race. And once the baton is exchanged, it's important. The one passing the baton does not continue running alongside the next runner, but they stop, they catch their breath, and they walk across the anvil to cheer for the successor at the finish line. So many analogies for the baton pass in this great missional ministry handoff and race between me and JT. So many things about what I just said we have been doing. Because the ability or inability to pass the leadership baton successfully determines the ongoing success of the organization and the outgoing leader's legacy. Let me repeat that. The ability or inability to pass the leadership baton successfully determines the ongoing success of the church organization and the outgoing leader's legacy. Now, there are so many things that I will be remembered for, things I'll be known for as your lead runner and pastor of the last 20 years. Some of them I want to be remembered for, some of them I don't. And although it was difficult for me to do, I tried to boil down and list four major things that I want you to remember as the baton is handed off here for the next leg of this missional race. Each week, we're going to cover one of those attributes or values. Think of it kind of as one big sermon over four weeks, over a month. It's everything I, I think that I want to say in one sermon, but you couldn't be here long enough, so we divided it up. I'm going to teach about that one value and then a different staff each week will come up and share a little bit more about how they've been impacted by that value. And as I run my last few laps as a senior minister here, these will be my final words to JT, this wonderful church that I love and we've run so many races together with, and my final words to the staff and our fine elders and its leaders. You know, last words are important. Last words tell you a lot about a person's life. Did you know that Michael Jackson's last recorded words were this? I'd like to have some milk. Please, please give me some more. And by the way, he wasn't talking about vitamin D dairy milk. That was his code word for that propofol mixture concoction that he had and ultimately killed him. I know some of you are familiar with Jack Daniels. I'm not, but I think some of you are. Anybody want to guess what Jack Daniel's last words were? One last drink, please. Not surprising. And Princess Diana's reported last words after that tragic car accident reportedly were, my God, what's happened? We're still asking that. You can Google if you're bored, not right now, I hope, but if you Google people, famous people's last words, you'll find out a lot about their life. That's why Jesus' last words on earth to his disciples are so powerful and meaningful. Here's what Jesus said. Go and make disciples. Now notice he didn't say sit and take. 
That's David Vaughn's version. Go and make, not sit and take, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. If there's one thing I hope I've been true toward and committed toward, it is the great commission of Jesus to go, to make, to disciple, to baptize, to teach everything I've commanded you. Whenever we do an all-in, baptism is just one thing. We have to go and help and make more disciples who then make other disciples. Jesus' last words should be our first priority. But I wondered what are the scriptures that could be used for these last words or principles for me this month. And I've come up with a, a great text that we will use. It, it, there, it's really pretty much a, a great race training manual in the little book of 2 Timothy. This book contains the Apostle Paul's last words. 2 Timothy was his last letter to his church and a young protege in the faith, a young emerging dynamic leader named Timothy. These words that we're going to study today in the next four weeks were written just weeks before Paul's own death and execution. He was in the last quarter of his life. And so today I want to start with the first word or first value that I want you to remember, that I think as I listen to people talk about me, which is very uncomfortable, by the way. I'm just telling you, it's awkward. I hate it. I've been talked about, but not that way. But the first word I want to share with you is this, be real. Be real. Notice how real Paul was with Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, let me start at the beginning of this last word of Paul. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Don and I will constantly remember you in our prayers. Recalling your tears, Man, I've laughed loud and I've cried a lot some days here. Recalling your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. There's our word, sincerity, realness, genuineness, honesty, credibility. That's what sincere is. Which first lived in your grandmother Lois, Mama Ike, is, is symbolic of a whole spiritual generation of parents and grandparents that we have enjoyed here. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. And then he says this in verse 13 of the opening chapter. And I think this might be my admonition to you. What you have heard from me, for some of you for 20 years, some of you 20 seconds. <laughs> what you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. And then in the third chapter of this last word epistle of Paul, this is what he says. You, however, know all about my teaching. For some of you who've been, I've had the privilege of being your pastor, you know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Cheviot and Cleves and no, that's 
What kind of things happen? There are also stuff that happened there. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, in Iconium, in Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, here's just a warning for us. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers, imposters, these are those who are not real, that are not genuine, that are not sincere, evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Man, if there's ever a verse that should be read in all the Southern Baptist Convention churches today based on that report which grieved me in the heart of God. I don't know if you're up on that. That's it. Imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. I encourage you to read the whole book of 2 Timothy over the next month. And when you do, you'll notice that throughout this wonderful last epistle, Paul is so real He's so authentic. He's so genuine with Timothy and the church. He shared his heart, and he let them see who he really was. All things I've tried to do, and by the way, JT is doing, but all things I've tried to do in the last 20 years. As I've talked to people since I announced my transition, one quality that folks complimented me on, which I really didn't see it as a strength, I think it is, but one of the things they complimented me on was that, hey, David, What I've always appreciated about you, you're just a regular, real person or guy who happened to be a pastor, which, by the way, produces a real and genuine church culture as well. And I have been blessed by those words. I love what Pastor Craig Rochelle said, a great quote on leadership. People would rather follow a leader that is real than one that is always right. I think that's true. I have really worked hard to try to be authentic with you. When I'm up, I'm up. When I'm down, I'm down. I just not spare anything. No scandals, no secrets. Just be authentic. Not perfect, but authentic. I've always tried to be the same in private as I was in public. Someone said that success is actually having those that know you best respect you most. You may not know this, but uh, back when I was in high school and I graduated in 1979, you know how they vote on all those categories of people? And I just knew I was going to get a good one, like most athletic, most good-looking, most likely to succeed. You know what my senior class voted me as? Most sincere. Now, when you're 17 years old, you're not really thrilled with that. (laughs) But looking back now, I actually think it's one of the greatest compliments anybody ever made. They recognized even back then, maybe this is a real guy. Not a perfect guy, but a real guy. And that has served me well in ministry as a vocation and a love. So although not perfect, I've simply tried over the last 20 years to be real and authentic and sincere in my leadership of self and family and ministry. And could I just say this to you about your new senior minister of this church that's coming your way? He has this same quality. Authenticity is one of JT's core values. I'm going to tell you something. He's the mayor of Realville. And he can sniff it out when you're not authentic. That will serve you well most of the time. But let me begin by giving you some real and candid thoughts from my heart, which I have always done, about why we need to talk about succession and why we are transitioning 
And these words, by the way, apply to people beyond just David Vaughn. I want you to hear them through my lens perhaps today, but these words can be applied to you as you identify your Timothy, your successor, and you invest in your own legacy. Because all of us, these principles apply. The first sobering reality I want to give you today is that we all need to acknowledge as we begin these last few laps of my succession, I had to acknowledge this. Every pastor is an interim pastor. I I just was a 20-year interim. JT will be another long-term interim pastor. We are just occupying our chairs for a season, and then, as all successors do, you hand it off to someone else who will hopefully love it as much and take it even further than you could go. My absolute best friend, John Hampton, down in Florida, announced just two weeks ago that he is also transitioning soon as lead pastor, just like me. And he and I have been sharing succession thoughts and quotes and principles and material with each other, as well as our churches, some of which you will hear today. But both of us came to the conclusion, you know what? We're just interim pastors, just holding the baton till the next person runs the race. And because the best leaders see their role as temporary or they're like temporary just short-time caretakers and stewards, if you're a good leader, you're always thinking about the next before you have to think about it. I keep repeating the line that Dr. Grubbs, a former elder in our church and one of my mentors, gave me when I first started talking about succession years ago. He said, David, here's my advice. Leave the stage while they're clapping and not throwing stuff. I think I'm going to make it four more weeks. This is why the elders and I have been talking about and studying this baton handoff for 12 or 13 years. Even though as a younger guy, succession was far off, I knew this day was coming, and it comes sooner than what you think. And I didn't want, we didn't want to drop that baton and hurt this church we love so much. To neglect that would be to fail the most important leadership test a leader has to eventually face which will be their legacy. I had to ask myself early on when crowds started to come and reputation and momentum started to build and people started to speak so well of us and me, I had to ask myself early on, am I here to build my platform or God's platform? Is it going to be about David or is it going to be about Jesus? You need to ask that too because you won't always be on this stage because everybody is an interim pastor and leader. Reality number two, I have, this is why we're going to talk about succession. We're all aging and a wise person faces their mortality realistically and thinks well in advance how to exit gracefully. I have seen pastors hold on way too long. I decide I wasn't going to do that. Author John Ortberg tells a story about one of his daughters when she was much younger who noticed a Band-Aid on his arm and asked him about it. (laughs) Turns out he had just had a blood draw for a new life insurance policy. So thinking he would elicit some sympathy and admiration from his daughter, he told her that he just took out a life insurance policy that would pay their family $500,000 if he died. His daughter said, a piece? (laughs) That's the way it works. I remember years ago, 
here at Whitewater, when our lender required a key man life insurance policy on me because of the size of the loan that they were making to us, the amount of that policy was so high, I, I bet it was tempting for some of our elders to take me out. By the way, one almost did. I won't go into detail, but I was playing with a couple elders. One almost did with an errant golf shot at Aston Oaks, by the way. I'm kind of afraid to go over there now next week. That whizzed right by my head. I reflected on that on the way home that day from the golf course, that if that had happened, it would have been such a fascinating, interesting service the next Sunday. An elder would have got up and said, folks, we got bad news and we got good news. Bad news, David no longer with us. Good news, the church has a lot less debt. I mean, it would have really been gone over well. See, long-term care policies and life insurance policies are taken out for a reason. People age and people die. That's the sobering truth. And that's why you got to talk about succession. Let me give you reality number three. I've noticed this now that I'm in my 60s. We tend to lose energy and our leadership edge as we age. I heard about a study of over 1,400 managers in 200 corporations that found aging managers, which they defined as late 50s, early 60s, aging managers were less willing to take risks the older they got, and they also hold a lower view of the value of taking risks in general. <laughs> I mean, for those of you who are around my age, again, early 60s, isn't it true that some of the things many of us attempted or tried when we were younger, like climbing Mount Everest or something stupid like that? <laughs> Isn't it true that the things we did when we were younger, we now lock back, back on and say, they're nuts. There's no way they should be doing that. There's this natural tendency to draw back as you age from making a bold move or taking a risky but essential step. I'm glad JT's not doing that. See, the painful reality is that research reveals far too many pastors stay well beyond their physical peak and best creative years. Dave Travis is a succession guru. I've read a lot of his work, and he was the former executive director of Leadership Network. Now, check this out. This made me feel better about where we were at. He said in one study they found that among all churches with 2,000 or more in weekly attendance, all churches now surveyed, 2,000 or more in weekly attendance, only two churches out of 1,200 were growing who had a lead pastor that was 60 or older. Two out of 1,200 were growing who had a lead pastor 60 years or older. That's why succession has to happen. I care too much about this church to let it gentrify and fade away. One retiring pastor said, there are three ways I can leave. You can carry me out, you can kick me out, or I can walk out. I'm choosing to walk out. I think it's wise and probably a rare leader who walks out while they're still on top of their game, while I still got a little gas in the tank. I want to be that leader. Reality number four, this was sobering to me and was a wake-up call. Older leaders almost always lose the ability to inspire younger people, even though they think they still do. Most pastors communicate well to people on the span who are approximately 10 years older than them or 10 years younger than them. That's the spectrum. But going outside of that range, their effectiveness begins to see diminishing returns. I know many pastors who think they are the exception to that rule and they think they're great cross-generational communicators who connect well with people all ages, but the truth is 
Most of us are not. Here's how I knew it was time to transition here. It wasn't a book. It wasn't a video. It wasn't people telling me. Well, they kind of told me. I was leading a staff meeting some time back, and I offered one of the greatest ministry ideas in the history of civilized world. This is like going to change the world for Jesus. And I presented that idea to our talented staff in a meeting, and they didn't see me, but I noticed out of the corner of my eye, several of our younger staff rolled their eyes. Unfortunately, they aren't working here anymore. No, that's not true. But I noticed in the exact same meeting after their eyes rolled about my idea, JT started speaking and they leaned in. They nodded. They listened. I knew it was time. I ran into a guy last week in the landing who told me, David, my mom just loves your preaching. She watches online every week. I said, how old is your mom? He said, 87 years old. I guess that's my demo now. Do you know that the greatest determining factor to the average age of a congregation is the age of its lead pastor? Are you aware of this? Now, we love all people. We're a multi-generational church. We love older folks. They matter to God. But if a church doesn't intentionally work to reach younger people and families, it will gentrify, as I said before, and it will soon just become a monument to what God did in the past. You have got to have some babies. You've got to pour into the next generation. If you want to reach younger families, younger people, they're more likely to be drawn to a pastor closer to their age who can speak relatively into their current situation and circumstance of life. Now, occasionally you need a sage from the stage. Someone after first service said, how about the guide from the side? I said, I like that too. I'm going to steal that for a Vaughnism. You occasionally need somebody like me. <laughs> One person said, a new broom sweeps clean but an old broom knows where the dirt is. Yes, I do. Now I'll be returning to preach from time to time. We'll talk about that later, but this church doesn't need a 61-year-old lead pastor. I can, however, be your ambassador and JT's advisor, and I think I still have value added to this equation, but I've had a great 20-year run, and now it's time to pass the baton off to another younger runner with fresh legs who's going to take this church far beyond what I could even ask or imagine. Even those, by the way, who truly are gifted cross-generationally as communicators and leaders, here's another important reality check. The breakthrough ideas to reach the next generation are most likely not going to come from the previous generation. We are seeing a great number of millennials and Gen Zs dropping out of church at astounding, alarming rates and it's going to take an increasing number of outward-focused, biblically sound, gospel-centered, Christ-exalting millennial and Gen X leaders being raised up to Whitewater's highest positions if we're going to lead those generations back to God. I will not allow us on my watch, or however it is, to sacrifice new generations simply because of our personal preferences on how church should be done or how it used to be done. Friend, the world is a different place. It's a wild new world on the other side of COVID. Many things are going to look different than they did before. The next 20 years of ministry is going to look much different than the last 20 years of ministry. The mission's the same, help, hope, in Jesus. But the church needs a fresh vision with a fresh voice to meet that opportunity, and we've got one. 
Could I lead us through that? Maybe, <laughs> you know? But younger, smarter, more gifted people than me are available and ready to lead. And Donna and I thank God every day for the young, bright, emerging leaders in our church. And Donna and I are committing the next chapter of our ministry lives to do whatever we can to help those young leaders succeed, not only in Cincinnati, but all over the country. And that, guess, I guess, leads me to my last point. And it might be the most important one for me right now. Reality five, when a healthy leadership transition is made, the one stepping aside has another chapter of meaningful life to live and finds fulfillment in that role. Someone said that for every exit, there is an entry somewhere else. John Maxwell, my favorite leadership author, said, never leave something, go to something. So in coming weeks, JT and I will unpack more what that means for Don and I in our next chapter and how the church is helping us. But just let me say right now, on behalf of Don and I, we have never felt more peace, more confirmation, and more excitement about what our next is. And all too often, I did ministry solo here. That is not my plan in the next. As I step aside as your lead pastor, the elders have chosen to give me the title of founding minister in recognition of the leadership provided in kind of refounding Westwood Cheviot Church of Christ to Whitewater Crossing Christian Church. And you know what founding pastor is? It just means I got here first. It's basically a fancy way and a nice way of saying, we love and appreciate you, Pastor David, but you're no longer in charge here. I'm fine with that. In fact, I've been fine with that for quite some time. And when a problem occurs, I just smile because I know it's JT's problem to fix. <laughs> Someone say, well, David, is it biblical to retire from pastoring? I think the answer is, is it's not biblical to stop ministry only to play golf or walk the beach with a metal detector for the rest of your life. That's the typical American view of retirement. But it does seem wise and biblically warranted for a leader to shift the focus of their ministry to, to new directions. I did a deep dive into the Jewish priests in the Old Testament when we start talking about succession. For example, they were commanded by God to step aside from leading in the tabernacle and the temple when they were 50 years old. I'm way past that. And it wasn't just because they were tired. It's because if they didn't move, younger, greater leaders couldn't emerge. My buddy John Hampton said it well. My calling hasn't changed, but my assignment has. And that's true for Don and I. I actually think, by the way, our next assignment might be harder than this one. I'll tell you why. We're moving from one large church with a staff that I love and unbelievable resource to coaching hundreds of other churches, most of them unhealthy, with no accumulated trust, authority, or leverage. They don't have to do anything I'm advising them to do. That's a hard job. Bob Russell, I'll close with this, was the senior pastor of Southeast Christian Church in Louisville for 40 years. He's been one of my mentors, credible ministry. They've led thousands to Christ. I asked Bob to zoom in for a video meeting with JT and I and our elders early on in this process so we could learn about succession and best practices. Bob shared that after it was announced that he was stepping down as senior pastor at Southeast, a long-term member of the church confronted the chairman of the elders and demanded what the elders were going to do when the man who built this church is gone. The chairman kept his cool and calmly replied, ma'am, I want you to know that the man who built this church died 2,000 years ago. His church will continue to do quite well because he's alive and he's still with us. 
Good answer. Friend, I want you to know this local church was here long before David and Donna Vaughn came along. And it'll still be going strong long after we're gone. That's just real talk. And I can't wait to hand that baton off and go across the infield and cheer JT on for the wonderful laps ahead. But that doesn't happen accidentally. It doesn't happen magically. It happens intentionally as you humble yourself and realize it's his church, not yours, and you pass that leadership baton to a called and gifted next-generation leader like JT. I heard someone say not long ago that what you do is your history. What you set in motion is your legacy. What you do is your history. Man, we've done a lot together, but what we set in motion is our legacy. And I've been thinking about that. My greatest legacy is not a building, and we've gone through multiple phases. This has been awesome to see this wonderful facility here. But my legacy is not a building. You are the building. My legacy is not a service where people come. It's sending you out to serve where you live and work and go. My legacy is not a program, and I've had some awesome programs here in spite of those staff that rolled their eyes. There's been some great program ideas here. But it's not that. My legacy, Donna and I's legacy, is of people. People. You. And I'll be watching. I'll be waiting. I'll be praying. And Donna and I couldn't be more proud and grateful to be real with you in our life and journey of ministry together. So that's the first point of the sermon. Next week, I'm going to give you the second one, but as much as I don't like it, I think Connor and Jerrica are going to come up here right now and share some thoughts, and I just say right now, it's awkward. <laughs> Hi. Hey, hey, turn on your mic there, Connor. Testing. There you go. There we go. Hey, Connor. Hi. We're supposed to talk about you. I'm aware. <laughs> I know you just love this. Absolutely love it. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, David, you said, and I love this, you said, what you do is your history, but what you set in motion is your legacy. Hmm. And Jerrica and I have got to play a small part of your legacy here, and we want to share a little bit of how you have impacted our lives. Now, we don't have time, right, Jer? to talk about all of the ways that this man has impacted mine and Jared's life, but we'll just share a little bit. And I wrote some things down, and I know Jared did too, because uh, this is emotional, y'all, and I forget it if I didn't write it down, okay? So uh, I want to just share a couple with you. Um, can I just say that you still inspire me? Does David still inspire you all? Mm. Amen. Come on, somebody. That's because you're an old soul. <laughs> Connor's a young man as an old soul. I Thank think. you. Um, yeah. Um, David, you inspire me by all of this with succession. Mm. You could have so easily kept this for yourself and, and, and hoarded it, and nobody's asking you to leave. Nobody's pushing you out, but you are choosing to live a generous life, to live open-handed, and that's what Jesus did. Jesus lived an open-handed life. Jesus considered other people's interests before their own, and so you're modeling what Jesus did, and that's inspiring. You inspire me 
by leaning into your family. Your beautiful, uh, brand-new baby granddaughter, Juniper, is Amen. awesome. Yes. Congratulations, Amen. Tyler and Savannah. I think they're watching online. Um, David, you have always managed to keep the main thing the main thing. And I know over the last 20 years, can you imagine how um, it would have been easy to be become consumed with things like money or possessions or power or popularity? I, I think you're a good TV preacher. Yeah, thanks. Just, I've always wanted to be a TV preacher. <laughs> <laughs> but you have kept the main thing the main thing, and that is mm. that it's all about Jesus. Mm. And it's not about me, so let's go fight for the win together and make the name of Jesus known. Amen. Um, <laughs> I wrote this down. Don't try to be someone you aren't. That's what I got from you. Uh, if you guys have been here for some time, you're well aware of what we call a Vaughnism, okay? If this is your first time here, uh, let me explain to you what a Vaughnism is. It's something that only this guy, David Vaughn, would say, okay? I've got some examples written down here. Um, hope is the best dope. Man, that was a good one, Connor. I'm just, uh... Man, okay, Did you roll sure. your eyes on that? No, <laughs> no risk it. No biscuit. Yeah. Amen. Who says that? Okay. Don't let your ego become your amigo. Yes. <laughs> Who says this That's stuff? Good. Right? You do. You say I do. this That's stuff. That's a good one. <laughs> oh, but I know that you are being your real, authentic self. And that is because you know who you are and whose you are. That you are a son of God and you are purchased by the blood of Jesus. Um, you, uh, I wrote this down, be secure enough to give someone else a shot. So you gave some dingus Kentucky boy like me <laughs> a shot at doing things for the last five years that probably most people would have said no. <laughs> so do you remember, by the way, the first sermon that you asked me to preach on stage here? I don't think I do. <laughs> I'm sure you remember. You asked me to preach on Lot's wife. Okay, and go. for those of y'all who know that story, it's a story in the Bible where this lady didn't listen to an angel and she turned to salt. I mean, come, <laughs> what are you supposed to say on that? You Piece know? of cake. Piece of cake for you. I'm still salty about that. Uh, I, I believe that's where you, oh, see, I've taught him. I believe that's the sermon you accidentally cussed and did. And I I'm still to, here, aren't I? <laughs> we talked a little bit. Being real, right? <laughs> Accidentally. Yeah. Right, sure. Okay, we can go with that. Um, hey, speaking of that, I wrote, you own your mistakes. <laughs> mm. Mm. Uh, David, you have said to me often, uh, hey, it's okay to fall on your sword. You, I've, I've heard you share multiple times, I'm sorry. And you have owned it and you've taken responsibility. And how easy is it for all of us to point the finger or pretend like it wasn't our fault? But you've said, hey, I understand this is my fault. I want to fix it. I want to make it right. And um, the last thing is uh, that I'll share is that you saw something in me. And you saw something in Jerrica. And you have seen something in so many of you. And um, you would say things like, God's working in you. Or I believe in you. And I, I shared this in, in the first service, but I brought something with me. You gave this to me. It's a little golf desk widget. Can you guys see it? 
And uh, I think, by the way, somebody gave this to you from the crowd. Yeah. And then you gifted it I to re-gifted me. I re-gifted it. Yeah, if that was it's, one of y'all, that I'm was sorry. one of you all. Then yeah. sorry, yeah, not sorry. sorry. This is legacy. It's legacy. It's legacy. It's legacy. Why, I had you to get, you yeah. guys encouraged David to give it to me. Um, <laughs> but no, seriously. Uh, at the time, whenever you gave this to me, I, I was uh, I was considering throwing in the towel. I was considering throwing in the towel with whitewater and ministry altogether. And of course, the way that God orchestrates things, we had a, we had a lunch planned that week. And when we got back uh, to the office space, you called me back in and you said, hey, I want to give this to you. And engraved on this golf bag, it says, stay the course. And um, I'm still here. And I intend on staying the course. Amen. So David, I would consider you to be a father figure to me. And Abby and I are so thankful for you and Donna and all that you guys have done. So I love you guys. And I know that Jerrica has some things that she wants to share too. Oh my. I do, with zero time to share. Yeah. So oh my. I apologize now. <laughs> um, no, just few in a few months, I'm going to reach the seven-year mark of being a part of this team, which seems kind of crazy. And it's really been my greatest joy to serve this church under David's leadership and alongside of you, Donna. And recently, our staff, we spent time trying to figure out what our personal uh, values were. And I discovered or rediscovered that authenticity and joy are my top two. So um, it's important for me to be my authentic self. It's important for me for others to be that. And I guess that's not, that's why I not only like David and Donna, but I've thrived under their leadership because I've had the ability to be myself. And like David said, uh, that's the case with John and Kelly too. So I know the future is bright. In my time spent in this church, um, I have been blessed. I know not all of you have been, but I've been blessed to see our pastor up close and personal. And I can attest today that he is the real deal. Um, David mentioned that he places a high value on people and not projects, and that's absolutely true. I can see many of you um, and David's legacy in many of you. I see it in myself. And I plan, I know many of you too, we plan to pass on that legacy. A few things that the Vaughns have gave me all fall under this umbrella of opportunity. As I've spent intentional time thinking about what it is that this man and that woman gave me, it was opportunity. That's the word that just kept coming to mind. They gave me opportunities to be my real self. And y'all, real isn't always pretty. David got to see some of that. I'm sorry. (laughs) Once or twice. But I'm really grateful for the fruit that came from all of those opportunities. So if I could quickly just paint for you this picture um, a little better, paint it better for you. We have to like walk through my 20s because if you think about it, that's kind of what we did. Um, A young girl fresh out of college was given the opportunity to be a part of this epic team, a team of people who love lost people, who chase after them with all that they have. Uh, So I'm grateful for the opportunity to be a part of the team. Same girl gets married a few years later, uh, was married by this guy who loved and accepted my not yet believing husband and his grace and his patience and his kindness uh, spoke volumes. So David, you gave me the opportunity to love. First time mom, About the same time I became a mom, I was given opportunities to lead that I had never had before. Larger teams, uh, more influence, leadership tables that I didn't feel qualified to be at, 
David gave me the chance to lead. And in that time, I too got to lead a group of women. Donna was a part of that. And in that time, I don't know how long it was, but Donna and I's relationship grew. And I was able to see the grace that she led with. And let me tell you, uh, my own mama, but also Donna, they have a lot of grace. It takes a lot of grace to be married to a pastor. And um, I pray that I too can lead like you did, Donna, with a lot of grace. So I was given the opportunity by these two to lead and to grow as a leader. Same girl, a few years older, maybe the hardest one, widowed. And David and Donna, on their way out of town, literally, took time to come to my home and sit with my family as we had just lost my husband in that house. And they took time to sit with me, not to say much, but just to be present um, I was given the opportunity to grieve, not only just grieve, but also just lead in my grief. Uh, many of you experienced or witnessed me doing that. So in all of these stages, because really as I thought about it, you have been a part of all of these stages in my life. Um, you just gave me the opportunity to be myself. And I just think it's important to note that that's, not everybody has that opportunity to be themselves. We all know that it really stinks to be in a relationship or to be around people who don't allow you to be yourself. That's just not the case with David and Donna. Um, Jesus, I believe in my heart, wants us to live in freedom in our authentic selves. And so it's just not a coincidence that David and Donna and John and Kelly, that they want that for us because each of them are just representing Jesus. Each of them are, are trying to live a life just like him. So I can't believe that we're sitting here. I can't believe that this time has come. I'm a little shaky because of it, but um, I can remember this will help me because it will make me laugh. But you and I and Laura were sitting in the back of this worship center on a Thursday night. We had Thursday night services, and um, there was this guy up here preaching that we thought was cool enough. But once he shared his story, uh, I sent David, I don't know if Laura sent the text or if I sent the text, but it was a group chat. Connor was there, but we didn't include you in the chat. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, was, I was listening to the message. Uh. <laughs> no, but we said, um, I could probably find it. We said, please get someone like this. If we have to replace you, find someone like this. Little did we know that David already had that plan in motion. So he sent something back like, I think it was Christina Aguilera with her hands in the air going, preach it, or something like that. See, I'm, I can do technical stuff. <laughs> you sent a gift. Well yes. done. I'm so, But you know why, you know why we, we fell in love with John? That's just the easiest way I can say it. It was because John was real. John was, his story was going to relate to people and to our friends and family. John was authentic. John loved running after lost people. John had a heart like Jesus. John had a heart like David. So we felt like if we have to lose you, at least we'll lose you to somebody who has a heart like you. And I know we all can point out all of the differences between David and John. We can. But their heart, the core of their heart is the same. Connor and I wouldn't continue on this journey if that weren't the case. But David, you not only represent Jesus while being yourself, you love others where they are, allow, allowing them to be themselves so that they can meet Jesus. So as I sat in this moment and prayed over this moment, I just was reflecting on our relationship. And I can't really describe things well, but this is just the best way I can describe it. It's like a father-daughter relationship. I don't ever, um, I have a wonderful dad. I would never want to, you know, make that not be known, but the way that you gave me wisdom, I'd come to you for advice, the way you drove me crazy, 
the way that the way you rolled your eyes <laughs> the way that you corrected me in uh, yes there is always appreciation and respect there for you and when it comes to leadership that that's I guess what I want to say when it comes to leadership I was a child I was just a kid and you shaped me and you developed me into the woman that I am today so you mentioned that Paul in 2 Timothy laughed, cried, encouraged, confronted, hurt. You two did that, and you gave me the opportunity to do that. So not only were the past seven years so full and so rich, but you gave me a passion to continue to chase after lost people. And you gave me the opportunity to give those opportunities to other people around me. So with those opportunities, many close to me came to know Jesus, and one of which I'm confident is with him today. So David and Donna, I will give those opportunities to those around me. I'll continue to do that. I will allow people to be a part of teams. I will allow them to love. I will allow them to grieve because that's what you guys did for me. So thank you for all that you have done, and I would just love to pray for you guys right now. Jesus, thank you for David, and thank you for Donna. In the next couple weeks, God, we just ask for protection over each of them, their hearts, protection over their family. Um, how do you put into words what these two have done? So, God, would you just give them so much peace, so much joy, allow their family to experience the goodness and the faithfulness of your son, Jesus. We're so grateful for David and Donna and all that they have passed on and will continue to pass on. So God, we're just grateful today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.